especially when, when you go from a place, by the way, at like Penn State, where you are the guy, yeah. right? Where Joe Paterno was the guy for decades. Bill O'Brien was here for two years, was the guy. James Franklin gets here for seven years, he is the guy. There is no hiding in State College when you're the head football coach at Penn State. Hello and welcome into another episode of The Lion's Lair. I am your host, John Sauber, and joining me on the other line, as always, my co-host, Kyle J. Andrews. Kyle, how you doing? I'm doing well, as always, you know, and finally, not on a different line, but kind of in person. Kind of in person, right? To some extent, uh, you know, lines are lines. Uh, We are in person recording, as Kyle said, uh, leading up to the whiteout this week. Uh, Exciting times for Penn State football. 2-0 start that, uh, admittedly, I did not expect. Um, but some, some less than, I don't know, want to call them less than well, exciting things or some interesting things happening right now, at least. I mean, to be fair, I expected it. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair. All right. One of us said 2-0, oh, the other didn't. No need, to, no need to point out who's who on this one. Uh, but no, the, the, we, we've obviously seen some rumors circulating, as tends to happen when uh, high-profile openings come, come open and you have one of the best head coaches in the country. And that, of course, is plenty of national writers have connected James Franklin to the, uh, to the open USC head coaching job. I mean, I'll let you lead this thing off. Uh, you you obviously wrote the story for us earlier today and what, what his comments were. You know, what did James Franklin say today, and, and what are your thoughts on how he sort of handled it this week? Well, leading up to, of course, the Auburn game, you know, he doesn't want any distractions. So he said, as you know, I can't stand any form of distraction. As you guys know, I can't stand in any form of distraction. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll discuss this today with the leadership council so that we can make sure that all of our energy and uh, our, all of our energy is on our preparation for Auburn. Uh, and that's how, that's how we'll handle it. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to the leadership council today about it. And of course, Franklin has a $4 million buyout with Penn state, which honestly, I mean, for USC, it's nothing. Yeah, it's absolutely USC, nothing. there's no money. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it, I feel like this was, it, it's not as an outright of a de- denial that Luke Fickle also gave because Luke Fickle was just straight up like, I'm not doing it. Yeah, um, I thought I thought Fickle was was more aggressive yeah. than Franklin was, and and Franklin, listen, there's, it's it's a non-answer, right? And yeah. this is why you see people on Twitter outraged that the question would get asked. I mean, it has to be asked, you know, and and it, it should have been asked. And honestly, I would have asked it if if I had gotten the chance to, um, but it, it didn't get to that point. Mm-hmm. I I think you're, you're you're spot on on the money standpoint of this. I think the interesting thing is the. You know, he's going to talk to the team about it and talk to just them, right? Like yeah. the leadership council is the leadership council, players, all the guys on the team that, that are leaders, you know, presumably captains and whatnot. It's a pretty big group. Um, talking to those guys and clarifying things is important. He needs to be transparent with them, but he wasn't transparent today with, with the media. And so we, we really don't know where his head is at. Do you think this is a job? And, and we're speculating here, but what's podcasting, uh, if not a little bit of speculation? But do you think this is the kind of job that he should be looking at that, you know, potentially he should take uh, instead of staying at Penn State? Well, here's the thing. I'm I'm very much so in touch with, you know, West Coast college football, as uh, I guess people may know. I'm a fan of a particular team that's on the West Coast. A bad team. A bad yeah. team on the West Coast um, that isn't. Uh, USC and they play in the same conference and they are uh, somewhat rivals at at one per- point. Listen, they were. I, it is unfair to call Cal USC's rival at this point. Given <laughs> well, yeah, just fair how enough. awful Cal has been lately. Fair enough. Um, but on that on that same note, um, 
you know, I, I feel like the USC job was sexier back a couple years ago, you know, when, when, uh, when one, you didn't have two teams in LA in the NFL. I think that kind of has taken, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, focus off of college football in LA. Um, just for the fact that like the Rams are back, you know, the Rams are LA's team. Let's, let's keep that in mind. I mean, as much as, you know, if the Raiders that came back, that would have, you know, I think that would have been a bigger deal, but you know, the Rams coming back, I, I feel like it's less attention paid to USC football. I mean, we saw how many people went to the USC game a couple weeks ago. That's not happening at Penn state. And I don't even know if, you know, Franklin could get the same amount of fanfare because it's, it's just too much stuff to do in, in uh, L.A. But, I mean, also I will say the money's good. So. Yeah, that, that's, there are a lot of things at play here. And There's, the weather's good, too. Yeah, the weather's much better. Uh, there is no snow in Los Angeles. And it's more diverse. Yeah, it's, it's a it, – listen, it's, a, it's an area where you could see uh, him wanting to live. You could see James Franklin wanting to live in, in Southern California. Um, the, the thing that people don't think about is this – these decisions are rarely just based on football, right? There's always a lot at play here. But if we're looking at just the football standpoint, he would have a, a better recruiting area to recruit from. We already know he's an excellent recruiter. There would be less competition because there wouldn't be an Ohio State in the conference, although Oregon literally just beat Ohio State and has been excellent of late. Uh, Mario Cristobal has them rolling. And, and frankly, he would have an easier path to the national, national championship in the college football playoff. Now, it depends on how much those things matter, right? Like, we, we don't know. We, we're not inside James Franklin's head. We don't know what he's weighing. But but I would tend to believe that these, those are the factors that would put together a formidable landing spot for James Franklin if he were to ever leave Penn State, right? It's got to be the football side. It's got to be the the, uh, the family side. It's got to be um, the, the sort of the culture side. And, and the other thing about the um, th- all of this is that you're right. It's not the focal point. Maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe you don't want to be the center of attention all the time. You can sort of just live your life and fade into the background, not have to be, you know, the guy in town everyone knows, and p- plenty of people will know who you are. You'll you'll be able to have the brand recognition and recruiting without sort of the downside of like being the guy, you know, the big man on campus that he currently is at Penn State. And I, I think that is a worthwhile thought in this because you're hundred percent right. The brand is not as big. But I think there's plenty of reason to believe that that's a benefit for him. Yeah. And I, I think that one, you know, like you said, if you can sneak back into the shadows a little bit. Um, Especially when, when you go from a place, by the way, at like Penn State, where you are the guy. Yeah. Right. Where Joe Paterno was the guy for decades. Bill O'Brien mm-hmm. was here for two years, was the guy. James Franklin gets here for seven years. He is the guy. There is no hiding in state college when you're the head football coach at Penn State. Yeah. And. It's not going to happen in uh, at USC, and maybe that, like you, like we said, that probably is a good thing. Um, just considering the fact that uh, you know USC won. I mean, if you if you do pr- return them to prominence, so I, I think you can become a guy along those lines. I mean, you know, if you could get, let's say, James Franklin gets LeBron James to show up to a USC game, you know, how much does that change the, you know? the the landscaper let's say james franklin gets you know any L- los angeles athlete just in general i mean it, it, it's all the connections that you could use in a star-studded place that is los angeles and i think that helps out a ton too well and the the brand isn't restrictive in the sense that you can be the, the main focal point but it's not so 
you know, outward that you have to be that way. And I think that's that's probably what a lot of coaches want, right? Like they want the the option to be the the focal point of the area, the, the person everyone talks about, but they also want to fade into the background when they want to fade into the background. Um, these guys are humans at the end of the day. They, you know, they, they don't always want the spotlight, but I, I think that is that is plenty of speculation and there's plenty of discussion for a job that, that just came open, you know, yesterday. We, we'll have more on this as things develop. If things develop, we don't know where it's going to go from here, right? Um, and I think nobody at this point really knows where it's going to go from here. But we may as well talk about the last game that James Franklin coached, and that is Penn State's 44-13 to win over Ball State. I'm going to leave the floor open to you on this. This was uh, dominating from start to finish for Penn State. What was your main takeaway from this one? My main takeaway was that, you know, Penn State's defense can make mistakes, but they'll kill you anyway. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Like, the fact that Jesse Lucetta went out there and had a heck of a game, um, you know, he actually, what was he, the defensive player of the week for uh, PFF? Um, yeah, Pro Football Focus had him graded as the highest graded defensive player this week in college football. Yeah, and, I mean, it showed throughout the game. I mean, he had a, uh, he jumped up, got that interception for a touchdown. Um, you know, he wreaked havoc on on a defensive line. Um, number of other players played great. I mean, I, I think defensively, you know, we saw Curtis Jacobs get in there, Um on that one, the lone sack of the game, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, I, the lone sack of the game for Penn State, uh, I, I do remember Sean Clifford getting taken down uh, quite a few times. Oh, which, yeah. Which was an issue in its own right. Yeah. And that was another thing that I was going to jump to was just that, uh, you know, the offensive line. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily pit it on them as much as I would the fact that Sean Clifford held the ball for too long. I mean, he was more consistent. I felt like he was way more consistent in this game. But it slowed down significantly in the second half. It's like he just were deciding to, to he, he decided to just be a game manager at that point, which is fine. But we saw what Western, uh, who was a Western Illinois last, last, I mean, the week prior yeah. against Ball State, you know, threw all over Ball State. Yeah. And you would, you would hope that Sean Clifford, if you're a Penn State fan, can, can sort of, uh, be a game breaker against a team like Ball State. Now they're, they're, it's a bend but don't break defense. They're not going to give up a ton of big plays. And kudos to Sean Clifford for sort of just taking what the defense gave him. But at times, like you said, he he didn't put the offensive line in great positions. Um, now the the backup offensive line that came in in the largely the second half and the fourth quarter was not good. Um, and that, that's something Penn State will want to work on. But those guys aren't going to play enough for that to matter all that much, anyways. The real concern is is this as good as it gets for Clifford, right? Because this is probably the best game he's played since 2019 in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, but this is also still not good enough to beat Ohio State, right? Like, you need him to take a step forward. There has to be another level to the offense than this. This can't be the end-all, be-all. This can't just be, you know, 44 points against Ball State can't be as good as it gets. They need to be more efficient. They need to be more explosive. Uh, but they need to be just as safe with the ball. Sean Clifford did not throw an interception again for the second week in a row. If you had told me in the offseason that Clifford would go two weeks at any point in the season, not throwing an interception or fumbling the ball, I don't know that I would believe you. Uh, but he's done it at this point, and that's a really important part of this offense that, you know, as long as they can maintain possession and string drives together, then they'll have something because the defense is so good. Um, how did you feel about this this rushing attack for Penn State? You know, specifically Noah Kane and Kevon Lee. How did you think they played? Because this was a an area of, I don't want to say concern, but a, a questionable area for me this week. Yeah, the running game. I, I mean, it looked it looked significantly better. I would say, um, you know, everybody got involved. I mean, Noah Kane had twenty 
attempts for 69 yards a touchdown. I mean, his, his yards per carry wasn't great, but, I mean, he, he played better, I would say. I mean, well, they played much better as a team. Um, of course, Sean Clifford had that big run. Um, I, I thought that was that was a really good breakout for them. They, you know, I would say if if he starts looking for that a little bit more, they're going to be in a better situation just based off of the fact that like now teams have to account for his feet. Because um, I, I felt like in the Wisconsin game, he just held on the ball, uh, held on to the ball too long, and he got skittish and started throwing the ball into the dirt, throwing the ball you know, deep over Jahan Dotson's head without, you know, even. Yeah, that one happened a few too, yeah. uh, a few too many times yeah. against Wisconsin. And then, uh, um, you know, Kevon Lee looked great. I mean, he has to get more touches, though, I think. You know, if you if you go eight carries for 68 yards, you're averaging eight and a half yards per carry. Um, give him more touches. Devin Ford, same thing, six, six carries, 32 yards, 5.3 yards a carry. Uh, Jahan Dotson had that one. Uh, I I can't remember if it was a jet sweep or if it was a. Uh, I believe it was the jet sweep. They they yeah. handed to him and he, he got the edge a little bit and nearly got a first down. Or maybe yeah. he did get a first down. Uh, but yeah, no, you're you're right. The 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 idea of Noah Kane as a bell cow is fun and Noah Kane's good enough to do it. But you have other good backs here and Noah Kane had a nice performance. You know, twenty carries, sixty nine yards, pretty nice. Um, and Kevon Lee pretty much matched that though on only eight carries. The, the thing that, that gets to me about Lee is we saw against Wisconsin, he gets little, I don't even call it east-west because it is sort of north-south. He's just going south, right? Like he, he starts going backward uh, and, and it's and it's not particularly helpful and he's trying to bust the big play instead of just going down for a two-yard gain. And, and he, he tried to do that against Ball State and it worked because Ball State is not as good as Wisconsin defensively. So he was able to get away with it and he was able to try and create extra yards and he did create those extra yards. The Clifford thing is interesting, right? Because I asked James Franklin about this last week, how you sort of balance this out. And I, I don't know if there's a great answer for it because you don't want to put him in harm's way as much because he is clearly important to this team and, and how good it can be this year, especially if he can just be competent the rest of the season. At the same time, part of his value is the fact that he's a really good runner and he is fast and he has breakaway speed. As he almost broke away uh, on that long run as a 43-yarder. The The... The balance is tough, and, and Franklin's response was basically that last year, in, in years past, Clifford would go, you know, first progression, second progression, takeoff. But this year instead, he was going, he, because of Mike Hirosich and because of the coaching, he was going first progression, second progression, step up in the pocket, move around, try and find a third read, try and find a fourth read, then if all else fails, then take off. Uh, I, I do think, though, they should be designing more runs for him. Um, you know, maybe he's not scrambling as much, which I think is good. You know, you want him working through his progressions, finding those guys. But I, I, I don't I, I don't think you want to completely eliminate the run game for Sean Clifford, which means designing the runs instead, giving him the opportunity to, to hit the edge, to get outside, to get going downfield. Because the benefit isn't just in those scenarios about Sean Clifford. When you have a good running quarterback, the rest of your running game opens up. When he's a threat to hold the ball on his own read rather than than just hand it off when he's a threat to take off rather than throw the bubble on an RPO. It opens things up for Dotson on the RPOs on the outside. It opens things up for Kane and Lee on the inside. And suddenly you have a completely different offense. You have more things uh, that, that are at your disposal. You have more weapons that are playing better because they're more available to them. And you have a quarterback who's in a better rhythm because he said in the past that when he can get the run game going, it sort of brings everything together, right? Like it it makes the rest of his game sort of uh, round out and, and puts him in a better position. But... You know, this was the first time we'd seen him run this year uh, extensively. 
He finished with 11 carries. I think four or five of those were sacks, but still we saw him take off a little bit more. And I do think that's going to be an important part of their offense. Now, the most important part of their offense is the fact that their defense is going to suffocate teams this year. Uh, and, and I thought, like you said, that this was one of the most impressive defensive performances, even though, you know, Ball State ended up scoring a touchdown at the end. They were never scoring against the first team defense. And oh, I thought no. the, the first team defense was dominant every snap they were out there. I thought the second team defense honestly could have beat them pretty badly, too. I mean, that's that's just how good Penn State's depth is on on the defensive side of the ball. I, I think, um, you know, we've we've seen it in the first two games and. You know, I, I wonder how much it's going to hold up against uh, Auburn as well, but I'm I'm pretty interested to see that too. That's the question, right? This is going to be the best offense Penn State faces until it faces Ohio State. Um, how good is that offense? I don't know. You know, we've seen Auburn play uh, Alabama State, I believe, and uh, Akron. Not exactly formidable competition there that they were going up against their first two weeks. They scored 100 total points in those two games, which is neat and all but like you should when you play teams like that right like you should be lighting them up now they're running a new offense with brian harson as their head coach of course gus malzahn gone after you know uh, i think six or seven years in charge there he's now at ucf harson comes in from boise state um, implements the offense bo nix looks a little bit better at quarterback tank bigsby looks awesome at running back they they lost most of their weapons from last year um where are you sort of where are your eyes going to right away, right, with this matchup? What's the matchup you're looking at between Auburn and Penn State? Um, the biggest matchup that I'm looking at is, um, you know, Penn State staying uh, physical, playing, still playing physical football and winning up front in the trenches, especially on the defensive side. Um, you know, and I think they can do that, of course. I mean, P.J. Mustafer has been, has been make, making plays all year. I mean, the past the first two games anyway. Um, I think, you know, one thing that he's been doing is just been clogging up uh, the line. Uh, the fact that he's he's gotten, you know, double teamed multiple times, you know, making free lanes for outside linebackers and defensive ends. I think that's huge for them, you know, and I think that they can get a very significant pass rush when it comes to that. Um, and then even in a running game, too, I mean, it frees up your linebackers. What's one thing that a, that every great linebacker has had throughout the years? That is a very good defensive line. And if your defensive line is taking up, you know, three, four guys, that linebacker can make, you know, those tackles anytime you need them to. Um, so I think that, you know, Brandon Smith, of course, he's going to he's gonna have to play a big role in this game as well, especially against these uh, running backs. Um, you know, like we said, the D-line, that front seven, I think – you know, right now, Bo Nix, we look at Bo Nix, and Bo Nix has played better, but do we truthfully trust Bo Nix to be, um, you know, I mean, before the season started, we were talking about him possibly getting benched, and now he's playing fine, but, like, he also hasn't played against anybody yet. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, like, it's, Bo Nix looks better, but is Bo Nix actually better? Um, and this is going to be the first test that they have to sort of figure that out, figure out how good Bo Nix is, because... Listen, TJ Finley transferred in there. I assume he did not transfer in with the expectation that he wasn't going to play, right? So I, I assume that was a competition during the offseason. Bo Nix clearly um, has taken the reins as, as the starter there and is, has run with it through two games against, again, what are pretty easy opponents. Uh, I think I think you're spot on, though, with the rushing attack um, and, and sort of that being where Penn State needs to win these battles. A lot of credit has to go to Arnold Abikady and 
and Nick Tarburton for being able to crash down the line of scrimmage, uh, you know, and occupy blockers too to free up linebackers. But really, you know, on those inside runs when when Wisconsin was running inside zone and trying to run between the tackles, they would run power and, and try and beat Penn State there. Ebikady was crashing down and blowing those plays up. Um, that was a lot of the reason, honestly, why I thought he was so excellent week one, because as good as he was, he wasn't as, uh, you know, it, it wasn't all about the pass rush, right? He was really good against the run. He was playing really well as an all-around defensive end. He wasn't just looking to make the splash plays. He was doing the dirty work and helping out the linebackers and the rest of the defensive ends. Now, he didn't do as much of that against Ball State, but frankly, they didn't have to play their, their starters as much against Ball State. Uh, so I, I don't know if, if we can take that too much into account. I would expect that we'll see the same same Abikady we saw when they faced Wisconsin uh, and when they, they held Ches Malusi to uh, 3.9 yards per carry, even though he had 131 yards. Like, it's, it's not as impressive when you have to carry the ball 31 times to get there. Uh, you know, it is... It is a testament to how good Penn State's defense is that they play this Wisconsin def- or this Wisconsin rushing attack that is known for gashing teams after wearing them down, you know, f- through the first two and a half, you know, three quarters. They usually gash teams in the third and fourth quarters. They get these big runs that that blow the game open, that make it tough for the other team to come back. Wisconsin never got those runs in large part because Penn State's linebackers got off their blocks and made plays in the running game. And the rare occasion when they made it to the third level, Penn State's defensive backs made a play on the ball, uh, made a play on the ball carrier to stall out the driver or at least prevent the big run from happening. So Penn State's run defense is uh, arguably one of the best in the country. Uh, Their pass defense is one of the best in the country. And Auburn is going to have their first real test. I don't know. So every indication we would have, right, is that Auburn has a good offense. They scored 102 points. They, they, They blew out two teams that they faced. Everything says Auburn should be really good. But with the drastic change in competition, I don't know that Auburn is going to be able to score that much on Penn State, and it feels like that's a hot take saying that, but to me, I don't see an Auburn offense that's going to be able to do much against Penn State in any facet of the game. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I think that Penn State matches up with them perfectly on a defensive end. Now, when it comes to the offense, of course, Penn State is going to have to, I think, rely on their rushing game because as of right now, the passing game hasn't looked amazing. Um you know, I think they can do they can do some things. I think I, I do think, you know, play action is going to be a pretty big part of this game, um, especially when people are biting up on. I mean, you have five running backs that can all, you know, eat during this game. So um, they've shown that already. They've shown that they can all play. Um, I mean, I, if not, get your running backs involved in the passing game. You know, why not? So, um, you know, just to flip things over, I think Penn State uh, – they're in a favorable – I think it's a favorable situation for them as uh, things currently stand. But, you know, you also can't sleep on any SEC opponent. Right, and, and that's the thing here. Wisconsin is very good, right? Wisconsin is probably a top 15 team in the country at the end of the season. Wisconsin also doesn't have the athletes that Auburn has on the outside. This is going to be Penn State's defensive backs' first test against those guys. It's going to be Penn State's wide receivers' first test against uber-athletic cornerbacks because as good as Fayon Hicks is – there are multiple guys uh, that play for Auburn in that secondary that are as good as him. So this is going to be a difficult test um, for both teams, frankly. Penn State has, is sort of more battle-tested. They've had uh, what I would call two really good opponents, Wisconsin, uh, obviously, like I said, probable top 15 team in the country, and a Ball State team that should win the MAC again this year. Uh, and Penn State just tore them apart for four quarters. That being said... I don't know that this is going to be as much of a test for Penn State as it may seem right now. 
uh, and and we can we can get into our predictions for this, but I don't I don't think this game's all that close. Like the score may end up pretty close, but I don't think that it's going to feel like Auburn has much of a chance in this game. But I will defer to you first and make you go on the record before I go on the record uh, for your prediction for this game. Um. So. Uh, I would say 27-20 Penn State. That's my prediction. Well, now I feel like I'm copying you. But for the record, I had this decided before the podcast. Uh, but no, I, I went with 27-13 here. And it goes back to what I said. Penn State, it, their defense is too good uh, to, for Auburn to really get anything going. But their offense isn't good enough to pull away. So while it may be 27-13, we may look up. You know, maybe it's the third quarter and it's like 13 to 13 to three Penn state. And it's like, well, it feels like they're beating them by four touchdowns, but the offense just can't get enough going because Auburn does have a good defense. Uh, you know, and, and it feels like the feel of the game is much more towards a blowout when the score may finish as a one or two score game because of the nature of the way Penn state's about to play this it sort of goes hand in hand with how Wisconsin usually plays games. It's not how week one turned out, but you can, you can sort of beat up the other team while not winning by as much. And, I don't know about you, but the, the flow of this game to me, I think, is going to mirror that Wisconsin game in sort of a slower, you know, less, less, uh, you know, teams aren't going to walk down the field. It's going to be have to be a big player or two that, that ends up scoring for both these teams. And I'm right there with you on that. And I think that Penn State, I mean, they have they have a couple guys that can do it. You know, I, I look at Jahan Dotson, of course, get him the ball. Um, Parker Washington had a couple big plays. And these are just the receivers we're talking about. We're not even talking about the five running backs that, that they have. Um, and then tight well, four running backs well, so far. Four. We have not seen John Lovett yeah, dress John for Lovett, a game. Yeah, John uh, Lovett hasn't played yet. But. Still still unavailable as far as, as far as we know as well. Yeah. And um, receiving-wise, I, th- I think they – you know, they still have the tight ends. We I mean, we haven't talked about the tight ends as much as I felt like we would at the beginning of the season, especially considering that I think Strange and Johnson are very good tight ends. I know Johnson had that uh, garbage time touchdown against um, against Ball State. Well, I guess not so garbage because Ball State had their <laughs> start in defense. And so it wasn't like it wasn't it wasn't an unimpressive touchdown, especially coming from Roberson. Roberson had that tough drive prior to that, and then he bounced back, and he looked fine in that second drive. I mean, he he looked surgical in the second drive, if you want to even say. But, um, you know, I think I think the Titans, this might be the game where they finally get their just due and they get involved. Yeah, and, and I think this is the first chance where the tight ends are the guys with the big athleticism advantage over the defense, right? Like, we've seen Jahan Dotson is just a better athlete than the guys he's been facing uh, so far this season. That might not be the case this week. Parker Washington has generally been a better athlete than the guy he's facing. That might not be the case this week. Same with Keandre Lambert-Smith. So this might be the first time we've seen that Theo Johnson and Brenton Strange are the mismatches, right? Like, they're the go-to guys. That being said, those two have combined for three catches this year for 39 yards. And like you said, the the one was a the, the 23-yard touchdown to Theo Johnson last week. So it's like, well, eventually you would think that they're going to use that yeah. talent. But they haven't to this point. I mean, we thought these were going to be the breakout guys, but that's also, you know, based off of what their quarterback's doing. So if their quarterback's going to the outside and trying to hit his receivers, then, uh, you know, tight ends aren't going to get those touches. Yeah, and generally under Mike Yersich, the ball has gone to the wide receivers. It doesn't go to the tight ends. So maybe we were off base for expecting that to change. But, you know, the talent is what the talent is. And right now Penn State is one of the most talented tight end rooms in the country. And they just haven't used it as much. Uh, and I do wonder if that will have to change moving forward as the schedule 
I don't want to say it gets tougher because Ball State and Wisconsin are tough, but as they get into the season and, you know, there's more film of this offense, teams try to shut down Jahan Dotson more, uh, and, and suddenly you sort of have to go to those safety valves more. You can't just go, you know, over the top every play to Jahan Dotson, getting the ball on bubble screens, getting the ball on tunnel screens, doing those little things to get it to him. You instead have to pivot elsewhere on the offense. Right, and um, we'll see. Well, I think I think they'll, uh, you know, one big one of the biggest keys for me is you have to you have to mix it up a little bit. I mean, you have to show different looks because if you if you continue to do the same thing that you're doing, and then you go and you're playing against Ohio State, and we keep and, bringing up Ohio State, but that's yeah. what all of this gets compared yeah. to in the end, or, or Iowa. As of right now, I mean, Iowa, I mean, they look great, too. I can't you can't sleep on them. And I mean, honestly, like I like I said, that was one of the first uh, I was actually one of the first um, losses of the season. I think that's one of two losses that I picked for the season. I picked Iowa and Ohio State. And when you play against Iowa or Ohio State, you cannot do the same thing that you've been doing, especially offensively. And I know Mike Yersich has actually been switching it up. It's not him. It's execution. Yeah. And, and that's it, what they have to do. And, and it's finding those guys. You have to look in their direction. You can't just play design can be as good as it wants to be. Quarterback has to get the ball to those guys at the end of the day. They did go to 13 personnel, one running back, three tight ends, which I which I thought was very entertaining against Ball State. Personally, I would like to see that more. They have three excellent tight ends. Uh, they they should be going that to going to that quite a bit more. And and Noah Kane said after the game that there's a lot more of this offense that we haven't seen. So I'm curious to see what that looks like. I'm curious to see what this team looks like. And I think, you know, you mentioned our predictions. Next week we'll get in with them playing Villanova, maybe sort of a, a recalibration of how this season will go. But that'll do it for this week's episode of The Lions Lair. You can find Kyle and I on Twitter at, at John Sauber and at Kyle J. Andrews underscore. You can subscribe to the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your plat- podcast platform of your choice. Uh, thank you for tuning in and have a great day.